We were glad to be back on the case of the Justice League. Our time with the individual books done for now, we set our sights on team fights and a roster of colorful outfits and daring do. What we didn't expect was a Wonder Woman with graying hair, a green arrow using his bow as a walking stick, and a geriatric Superman. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. All right, there's a lot I'm not excited about with this episode, but then there's a bunch that I am excited about. Uh, Justice League stories are, by and large, the stuff we kind of look forward to on this podcast. I would say also probably Green Lantern, Adam Strange, Mm -hmm. Flash. Personally, I like the Adam stories because they're fun and I don't know a lot about him personally. Um, And Hawkman are interesting to me. Um, Wonder Woman through the ages is always interesting, but also slightly more disappointing. But I think the Justice League for us holds a special reverent place because of one it being the justice league and two also the i don't know brand shaping that it does for dc at the time and even beyond that it was the brand shaping of gardner fox because we were so down on him in the golden age and it feels like this was where we were actually willing to say oh yeah he gardner fox has decent storytelling even beyond that like we started liking gardner fox yeah, I was describing Gardner Fox as somebody today as a solidly B-plus writer all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, not great, not knocking it out of the park with every issue, but consistently delivering a story that is readable, that has plot momentum. Justice League stories don't take as long for me to read. Yes. Because they're going somewhere and they're more fluid than these other writers. And I think that is Gardner Fox's biggest trademark beyond Gardner Foxing, which is creating a scientific thing for the purpose of plot and then just moving past it because it can move your story forward and not talking about it ever again. We'll see that a couple times in this series of issues that we we cover. Um, But Gardner Fox is able to create plots that have momentum very well. And there's a reason he's writing multiple stories, multiple titles, And he's been with DC for, I want to say, 30 years at this point. I mean, if he's writing in the Golden Age in the 1930s and 40s, and it's the 1960s, he's been around for a while. Yeah. So this is is a prolific writer with a very good batting average. Yeah. And that is something to admire and also refreshing coming from Robert Kaniger's (laughs) horse drivel that he puts Wonder Woman through. Yeah, even even the issues in here that I was not enthusiastic about and in fact did not like the structure around were less of an I can there were points in it that I can point to that was like, "Oh, I like that." Uh there was nothing in here that I hated anywhere near as much as Steve Trevor. I I 100% agree. Um so we're just going to kick off uh, we're going to try and keep this a little bit, a little brief. I know Joanne is going to be looking at the shot clock later. Um, once we get to some, some of the stories later in the, in the series of issues that we cover. Um, but with good reason, because those are something that we should cover. There's a very big two part story, uh, two issue uh, with 29 and 30. But for now, we're going to start with justice league of America, February, 1964, justice league number 25. 
a group of alien scientists that have been teleported around throughout the universe. Um, and every time they are teleported, the planet they were previously on blows up 24 hours later. Has arrived on Earth, and they have summoned the Justice League to help them, saying that they believe that the Justice League will be able to figure out the mystery of what's happening to them and stop the planets from exploding and saving Earth. Uh, so the roster for this storyline, because the roster actually rotates per story now, which I really enjoy, as opposed to having the whole team and Gardner Fox trying to figure out what to do with everybody. He's really actually rotating throughout this, trying to keep a core of maybe five people in each story, but not making it everybody, because there's about seven or eight people now. I'm going to agree, but I'm going to foreshadow something, a downside of it, that if it were handled differently, I would like it more, because once we get into the later issues uh i almost said episodes uh Eh. five hits the magic number where he's like oh i can do something for two pages with each of these characters and i will absolutely loathe it when we start seeing that but in terms of number of characters on screen when it's not that 100 percent, five characters is great it's a it's a dnd party absolutely Uh, Just for everybody's reference, because I know it's been some time if you've been listening to these chronologically and not through the playlists, uh, the members of the Justice League currently are Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, The Atom, and Green Arrow. There's nine members of the Justice League at the moment. Um, So in this story for number 25, we have Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, and The Atom. Um, so while these five members are trying to help these scientists, they run across a character called Crad the Conqueror, who is an alien who is using telekinetic energy, I say with air quotes, uh, to use it in a way to conquer worlds. And then wherever these teleporting scientists go, he takes teleporting telekinetic energy from them and then blows up the planet they were previously on because conquering. And the Justice League stop him. There's a little bit of a body switcheroo moment where Crad the Conqueror tries to dissolve the Justice League, but uh, Green Lantern's ring is programmed to reconstitute them because what else can't it do? And it reconstitute them, reconstitutes them in a funny way uh, where certain people have different body parts. Like uh, Wonder Woman's head is on like Superman's body and the Flash's legs are on the bottom of Batman's body and stuff like that. It's funny. Um, eventually that all gets fixed and the Justice League beat Crad the Conqueror, uh, and everybody stops planets from blowing up. There's a piece there that I want to call out, and that's that that body switcheroo is not the cover or interior splash art. It's not even like yeah. a chapter splash, which I would have I been so cooler. glad of that. And I think it actually typifies something. We're going to see instances in these stories where there's a cool thing. And it just happens, and we move on. It isn't overly lingered on, and I love that. They are, like I said, Gardner Fox is able to move quicker. He's able to do cool things and move forward. I think, honestly, he's getting better at that with Adam Strange. (laughs) That comic is purely cool shit happening and him making plot out of it. That is what Michael Bay wishes his movies were. (laughs) Yeah. Adam Strange comics are set-piece comics with cool story. And Gardner Fox is good at that. Moving on to JLA, number 24, March 1964. Despero returns. You remember Despero, the purple fish man with a third eye? Uh, He has returned from being imprisoned, and everybody thought that he was recovering and, you know, rehabilitated. 
from being a criminal. Despero has been lying this whole time and is using his uh, powers to siphon the power off of other Justice League members to trap specific other ones in time hourglasses that fit them. Giant hourglasses. What he's done to the people he has drained the power from is turn them old. So we have old Wonder Woman, old uh, Superman, old Green Arrow, and I think old Aquaman, uh, as well as old Snapper Carr, you know, the kid that hangs around the Justice League at the uh, Justice League home base while the other members of the Justice League are out trying to figure out how to stop Despero. And Despero, having now imprisoned them, is like, I'm so good at winning, I have now created three other Earths that I'm going to conquer just because. And I'm going to put some of you on those Earths because I think I'm going to win again. And of course he doesn't because Flash gets to work with uh, dinosaurs. Aquaman and Green Lantern get to work with fish people. And Martian Manhunter, and if I remember this correctly, I think Martian Manhunter and Batman get to work with butterfly people. And that's just delightful. Uh, basically strange versions of Earth that all beat Despero therefore he is beaten and then he returns the power back to the rest of the members of the Justice League and they are turned normal again no longer geriatric and uh, that was a weird story but also just like sure why not that's Gardner Foxing Despero just turns people old and then uses the power quote unquote that he gets from that to imprison the other members of the Justice League why doesn't he just take the power from the rest of the Justice League members I don't understand there's a lot of points missing to this plot I, I think I've, I feel like I missed the PowerPoint for this whole presentation but oh well uh, JLA number 27 May 1964 a sentient wall of light boy if that isn't a villain from an Adam Strange comic I don't know what is um just to just think the Aurora Borealis as a ribbon uh, that calls itself I, as in, like, I went to the store today, um, is pissed off at the Justice League because every time the Justice League win using their powers, they apparently siphon energy from the being known as I. And I is really pissed off about this. So I imprisons the Justice League and whammies them in such a way that I takes their ability to be good at being superheroes. It's not quite clear. I makes them suck at being a superhero. And therefore, because they suck at being superheroes, they can't defeat I and they can't siphon I's energy away anymore. But that also means that, like, the world is in danger now that the Justice League are terrible at things. So Green Lantern and a couple of the other Justice League members have the bright idea that what if they, like, Bring Amazo back to life. Remember that robot that took all their powers and nearly killed all of them because it could copy their abilities? Well, they find Amazo's body, which they have kept in the Justice League, uh, you know, clubhouse, and they turn it back on, and it immediately gets all their powers back and beats the crap out of them. But in doing so, it's using all the Justice League powers, and it drains all the strength from I, and I is effectively dead. I feel like that's a body count for the Justice League. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I mean, it's a sentient being that they get rid of and kill for the sake of the ability to use their powers again, which is what happens. Um, once I is dealt with, they get their powers back and their ability to not be bad at superheroing, and they defeat Amazo and deactivate Amazo again. That's a weird story. But that very much felt like a, an Adam Strange story where he goes onto a planet, meets like a creature made of pure energy. And it's like, I'm going to destroy your world. It's like, that was like, dude, did you 
did this plot not work for Adam Strange? So you're just recycling it for Justice League. It's very weird. Uh, Justice League number 28, June 1964. Batman, Superman, The Atom, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Flash, and Green Lantern fight uh, the top, the tattooed man, Matter Master, and a guy named <laughs> the Headmastermind. Except it's spelled headmaster like the headmaster of a school, space, uh, capital M, mind. The headmaster, mind. Uh, he's dressed like a school headmaster in like a graduation cap and gown. Um, the headmaster mind is, te- is teaching the top, the tattooed man, and matter master, a guy who could just control matter. I'm pretty sure he's a flash villain. Um, how to beat the Justice League by basically putting them in situations that they cause a bunch of collateral damage in and the UN is forced to make legislation that the Justice League can't use their powers. So the Justice League are basically hamstrung because they can't use their powers to fight guys who have powers. Also, Headmastermind is siphoning energy off of them as they do this and using the energy that he siphons off of them to create catastrophes that they cannot help but use their powers against so it gets them in trouble. Um, This, I thought, was actually probably one of the better plots because... After this, when the UN was like, hey, you guys can't use your powers anymore, the Justice League then turns to Batman and Green Arrow. But hey, you're the only two guys that don't have powers, but you're also the smartest members at detecting on the team. Maybe you guys can figure out what's going on right now while the rest of us try and stop crime without using our powers. And I thought that it was really cool that they played up Batman's detective skills and Green Arrow's detective skills to save the day. Because the two of them eventually beat Headmastermind and the others defeat their respective villains without using their powers. And I thought that was kind of fun. It's a little like, what else am I going to do with you two guys? But also like fun to look at the roster and show them admitting that they need the help of the two non-powered individuals. I I agree. One one thing that sort of soured me on it was there was a long chunk of this issue where it was where the the superpowered superheroes uh weren't making the taking the next step of okay i can't use my powers i will still be a hero without using the powers and there's some little explanations of oh they were getting their minds messed with by i don't even remember who uh, but it it felt a little purpose of plot of no you are you are going to be pu- the writers are pushing you towards this oh you have to protest that you can't you that you're not allowed to use your powers uh, it it felt like it was purpose of plot there even if it was justified after the fact of oh there was that mental meddling but it it just I think. I think a lot of it is the way it put it forward is things that just rub me the wrong way about when people do outlawed superhero stories or, well, they're not allowed to do it. So they're not they're going to uh, have to choose between they're going to ha- have to follow the, the law, whereas, no, they're, they're superheroes. They do this thing. So I, I guess it probably just hit my personal sensitivity points. Uh, I mean, I can definitely see that the that was heavy comics code meddling um, yeah. in in yep. a sense here, what ends up happening is the UN outlaws their superpowers, and for a brief moment, the superpowered heroes protest outside the UN the ability to superhero again. The implication here is that Headmaster Mind has messed with their intelligence or their brains to a point where they feel like they can't be heroes unless they have their powers. Mm-hmm. 
which is Matt's point here of they didn't continue to be heroes even without their powers. They were only interested in being heroes as long as they had powers. That is weird. <laughs> it is, however, dealt with in two pages. That's fair. And I think that was the only reason it didn't it didn't trigger anything for me is because it was so tightly wrapped up. But it is a weird statement. But that, but also, again, the fact that it was looked down about them protesting was also something I did notice where it was like, ooh, Batman and Green Arrow are not happy that the rest of the team is protesting. Oh, yeah. Because, I forgot about that. Because they're like, you shouldn't disagree with the law. You should just accept it. And it was like, that's a weird way to look about that. So hindsight's 2020. Also, it's the 60s. Also, the comics code is is making them do a bunch of things here. So it's, uh, yes, it definitely felt like they were doing the protest so that they could have the cover of the Justice League members protesting. Um, to your point, it yeah. did feel very purpose of plot. But also at the same time, that felt very, mm, the comics code is telling you that protesting the law is bad. The... I think the other reason I was feeling less charitable towards this story, I, you mentioned that you thought it w- this was one of the better constructed stories. Uh, yeah, I'm not putting your word, words in your mouth there. Yeah, cool. Uh, whereas for me, the, I think there were five pages of characters failing, and it was a little more spread out. But you're going to start hearing me say over and over again that I hate that this structure of each, a little vignette that. For one or two pages focuses on one character doing a thing and then we see it repeated out tessellated out across five different versions and this is the first time we sort of see that and i think that turned me off the story and made me less charitable towards that piece in general but it is so much better in this story than in the ones we're about to hit <laughs> yeah uh, these are these are these are hit and miss for a lot of reasons. But uh, Justice League number 29, August 1964, and Justice League number 30, September 1964. These are significant in the grand scheme of DC Comics um, because this is the first time we see officially another Earth. Specifically, Earth 3. Now, Earth 3 is an Earth wherein all the good guys are bad guys. It's the easiest way to describe it. You don't really need to go into the whole history that we are given for Earth-3. But uh, suffice it to say, the good guys are bad guys. So instead of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and The Flash, we have Ultraman, Owlman, Superwoman, Power Ring, and Johnny Quick. Effectively, one-to-one evil reflections of the core Justice League. Now, they call themselves the Crime Syndicate of America, or just the Crime Syndicate. Now, the Crime Syndicate is incredibly bored about fighting regular police officers because they always continuously win, and they realize that if they were to fight superpowered individuals, they would be rusty. And one day, while Ultraman was doing crime, he stumbled upon some green kryptonite, which to him gives him powers very similar to red kryptonite. But it also supercharges him. And with his new Ultra Vision, he sees a world wherein there are versions of him and his pals doing good. So he tells his friends they resolve to go to this good world and beat their counterparts up or bring them back to their planet where they could beat them. 
So the Justice League is going about their business, doing their thing, when they hear about crimes being committed by these individuals. They all go to try and stop them, thinking that they're going to stop their opposite number, where in fact, they're all switched up. Basically, you know, uh, Owlman is fighting uh, Superman, Johnny Quick is fighting uh, Green Lantern, things like that. Now, the Justice League wins each of these fights, but every time that they get to apprehend one of the members of the crime syndicate, the members of the crime syndicate say the word Volthoom, and something happens. The Justice League wake up and are apparently now on Earth-3, where all the crime syndicate members are not beaten. They've won, and apparently Volthroom was a trigger word that triggered a magic spell that transported the Justice League members to Earth-3. Now, what they say is, hey, look, on Earth-3, we're the best, so we obviously beat you here. On Earth-1, you guys are the best, so it's unfair for us to fight you on Earth-1. What we're going to do is we're going to find a neutral Earth, and we're going to see who can win on that Earth. So we're going to pick Earth-2. So we're going to go to Earth-2, we're going to keep you guys stuck here, and then once we've cleared out Earth-2, we're going to have it, we're going to duke it out on Earth-2. So the crime syndicate leaves, and the Justice League members desperately try to use their abilities to contact the Justice Society on Earth-2. Now on Earth-2, the Justice Society members that they make contact with are Dr. Midnight, Dr. Fate, Black Canary, Starman, and Hawkman. Uh, we've seen Doc Midnight, Dr. Fate, Black Canary, and Hawkman of the Golden Age before on Earth-2. Starman is a character we didn't really cover. He was hard to get back issues of. He's a guy with a uh, staff that has cosmic powers and he that he got from space that can kind of do at all. It's basically a magic wand, but it's a cosmic wand uh, for the sake of sciencing. Um, so the crime syndicate have the same experience on Earth 2 that they had on Earth 1, where they get their butts kicked by members of the Justice Society, but every time the Justice Society members win, they prevent them f from saying they uh, Volthoom, but for some reason they also still lose. Apparently the crime syndicate had a failsafe that if they got beaten, the you know JSA would be taken out the same way the JLA did, and the JSA is transported elsewhere and taken away. The Justice League is brought to Earth 2, and now they officially have their fight there, and the Justice League wins. Because of course they do. They're the good guys. Except this time, instead of fighting different members of the crime syndicate, they all fight their opposite numbers. And they find out that, you know, obviously the Justice League is superior. When they decide what they're going to do with the crime syndicate, they're like, well, we could imprison them on Earth-1. The crime syndicate looks not pleased about that. They go, what if we imprison them on Earth-2? Crime syndicate looks displeased about that as well. Well, we could always put them on Earth-3. And the crime syndicate looks really happy about that. So they go, okay, we got to figure out why you guys don't want to be on your own, why you don't want to be on Earth 1 or 2. And Green Lantern finds out that the crime syndicate has effectively made both Earth, has set Earth 1 and Earth 2 to blow, should they be taken and imprisoned. If they're imprisoned on any planet other than Earth 1 and Earth 2, they'll be safe. But if they're imprisoned on Earth 1 and Earth 2, they'll die when those planets explode. So the Justice League decides to imprison them in between the dimensions, because of course, and then they save the Justice Society and they save both planets. And the and the crime syndicate is now just sitting between dimensions in a prison that they have constructed with no food or water and no bathroom. And those people are dead, presumably at some point. Uh, they come back in comics. I'm not going to say that they were killed, but that's a shitty prison to be put in. Um, I imagine we can talk about the points that you brought up earlier 
in a little bit more detail if we finish yeah. the next two issues real quickly because those mm-hmm. are pretty, pretty quick to finish. But I can see a lot of the points that you don't like in that one coming up f- and being recycled yep. for the sake of showing abilities and for showing conflict. So we're going to come back to that, I'm certain. Uh, for now, we're just going to go to JLA number 31, November 1964. This is this is noticeable because we have another member joining the team. This now makes the team a total of 10. Uh, Hawkman is inducted into the JLA, which is really great. They also make a point of saying that they wanted Hawkgirl, yeah. but uh, they only induct one member at a time. So, And also they do make a point of saying Hawkman and Hawkgirl are a team, not a sidekick mm-hmm. situation, which is kind of cool, but also point. still a bummer. Um, I, yeah, I I didn't even think of that portion. You're absolutely right, and it it would have been so easy to sort of to poo poo at this moment and just like okay, yeah, they, of course they went with the guy, but it at the very least it does the the basics of trying to be a little more inclusive. Uh, personally, yeah. I still not having seen Justice League Unlimited, but having awareness of it, I. I always think of uh, Hawkgirl, Hawkwoman as being the more JLA of the two Hawks, but it. I just, I am willing to say, okay, you, you guys, you guys did all that I could expect from your age. You did the 1960s bare minimum. Yep. Y- yeah. <laughs> um, and like I said, it, it it does state that they want Hawkgirl mm-hmm. for the team. It's a it's a bylaw problem. <laughs> if anything. Yeah. And uh, they also reinforce that they are a team. They're a dynamic duo. Hawkgirl is just as good as Hawkman. We've seen her kick Aquaman's butt. So we know she's got the stuff. It's just a pain that they only take one at a time. But the insinuation is that they're going to get Hawkgirl eventually. Yeah. In this story, uh, Hawkman is with the, the Justice League and they encounter a guy who finds a alien machine that effectively makes whatever he wants but just makes it yellow because it was made on a monochromatic world so the only color it knows how to make things in is yellow which makes Green Lantern pretty much useless for this whole fight uh, but Hawkman is, is the guy who solves all the problems that come up during this issue to kind of just showcase that he knows what he's doing, he's smart he's, he's effective as a crime fighter and also has utility because of his uh, tech and abilities it's a pretty, it's a pretty unimpressive issue with a cool thing that happens in it at the start. Just to go like, hey, in case you didn't know who Hawkman was, here's Hawkman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justice League number thirty-two, December nineteen sixty-four. Brainstorm is a guy with a Tesla coil on his head who claims that every time you have a really good idea or a brainstorm, you are channeling stellar energy, and has found a way to harness stellar energy and charge it in this weird Tesla coil thing on his head and use that to do things. Much like the telekinetic energy and whatever energy that, you know, Despero harnessed at the in one of the earlier issues as well. Stellar energy does whatever Gardner Fox wants it to do. So in this case, it traps the Justice League uh, so that Brainstorm can f- hold them in place while he finds his brother's killer who happens to be, in his mind, Green Lantern. And he makes them watch as he threatens to kill Green Lantern. And Green Lantern's like, hey, I didn't kill your brother. I actually, like, kind of saved his life, but he got amnesia and he walked off and I couldn't find him because you then got me. So 
your brother's alive and it's your fault that he now has amnesia and you haven't fixed him. You know, we it, this one was kind of hard to follow. I will admit there was a lot of like and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. Um Brainstorm is a good bad guy given a bad first introduction. I I don't mind this character. I think it would be interesting. It's just like this is a weird story to put him in. Uh eventually when he realizes that his brother isn't dead and Green Lantern isn't behind it, he uses a brainstorm to disappear and be gone and they can't find him. It's in a very purpose of plot way. Um it's a weird story, but also it's just kind of like uh, all right, sure. That specific, like, the very end of him having the brainstorm and disappearing rather than be taken in and face the consequences of his actions is, I think, the piece that I find most interesting about him as a character thus far is uh, it isn't a everything resolves happily ever after uh, guy realizes the errors of his ways. It's, yeah, on the, on the one hand, yeah, I'm, we have acknowledged... I made a mistake on this. I was incorrect. But also, no, I'm not going to jail. Uh, And I don't know, just that little bit of difference I liked. Yeah, it was very Luthor. It it was, but I think there's a key thing to differentiate because we've seen Luthor go back to jail after uh, the times he helps, uh, he he comes out in order to help uh, deal with things or especially to to help his younger sister. And here is somebody who's like... Uh, who is taking the opposite route. It is a little bit less Saturday morning cartoony to me. Yeah. Um, That is the end of our coverage for the year of 1964. A lot happening. (laughs) A lot of, a lot of weird stories, but also the establishment of the crime syndicate, as well as the induction of Hawkman into the JLA is, uh, is really cool. Because these are, these are monumentous things happening in the DC universe mm-hmm. as a universe. Um, more Earths is really cool to see that Gardner Fox is like not slowing down anytime soon. He's trying to do stuff with these multiple Earths. He's reminding you that this is a thing that he's going to keep doing, pulling that back in, um, playing with it to, to go earth hopping between earths two and three. I was like, awesome, cool. We're going to bring in those guys too. I didn't even think that was going to happen until, and I was like, that's great. Cool. We get to see other members of the JSA. This is fun. Um, but to your point, every fight with the crime syndicate before the final fight is watch one member of the JLA or the JSA figure out the crime syndicate members deal fail at first and then succeed in a very formulaic way, which was boring. In It was a boring thing wrapped in a flashy package. Yes. And I kind of want to drill into that boring thing piece of it because it's, it was especially true in the, I believe the JSA ones, or no, I guess it's the... Maybe it was the fights uh, of the JLA members against their exact opposites. There was a scene. There was a series of one-on-one combats where the whole thing was overcharging the crime syndicate folks' powers, uh, and sometimes it sometimes it made a little bit of sense. Like I'm thinking of the Flash and Johnny Quick, just like the super. 
super fast race, just pushing to the limits, and then Flash sets something up so that there's like a little bit of a backdraft or something, so that it's extra like Johnny Quick can't stop and uh, overspeeds. Uh, and there's in that instance, okay, like I'm I'm on board a little bit, but then there's four more that are using the exact thing, even in the instances where it doesn't really. It doesn't have the same solid grounding that I expect for a solution to a, a conflict from uh, Gardner Fox. Things like, hey, two lassos takes double super strength to use, not just use properly, but like, oh no, I've lost control of these and that's going to cost me the fight. Like, what? No, what? It. Yeah, one, one or two of them made sense and then the other two were just like, uh, yeah, sure. Like, the Green Lantern overclocking power rings ring made sense. Because the ring can do anything. So he's going to give power ring more power than he can handle. And power ring becomes distressed by losing control. Uh, we're not going to talk about the fact that power rings ring is mystical and was given to him by a monk. Um, which makes it work against Superman. Um, Superman throwing Ultraman onto a meteorite of kryptonite giving him more powers than he can handle. I was like, okay, that's actually kind of interesting because yeah, if red kryptonite is the basis of which we are doing the one-to-one, I mean, obviously they're doing like, instead of hurting him, it gives him strength. But if red kryptonite gives Superman powers, if he was given too many powers, he would be overloaded either by sensory or just unable to handle what happened to him. So I'm like, okay, I'll give him that. But yeah, you're right. Tripping up Johnny quick because he's running too fast or, or, or Superwoman having too many lassos and she just fucks up or owl man, being out thought yeah. by Batman because Owlman's oh, whole thing was yeah, he was no, like an one. intellectual <laughs> villain and not really like a kung fu detective villain um, so it was kind of just like Batman had to like make him think harder than normal and, and like at, be at the at a weird angle so that his right side was being controlled instead of his left side uh, I'm actually not I from my perspective at least I'm not going to give Superman and Ultraman the point because if there was the too much power, too many powers going on, I want to see those powers. I want to see the moment of just like everything going on, of just like one arm, like crystal, one arm fire, uh, one leg going invisible, one leg going wavy, like the like laser eyes going on. I want to see that panel and I'm not going to get it. No, I think you're right though, that that would have gotten the point across better. I, and you're absolutely right. Yeah, and uh, and it's especially frustrating because, like, Gardner Fox does, like, he, he does a lot of rule of threes stuff traditionally. Like, we saw a lot of, okay, like, three wishes, how are things going to go weird? Uh, three different, like, three different planets from D- Despero. And... Sometimes it works like that structure. If you have something interesting in there will work even in uh, the other example that I I did actually like from the JLA uh, CSA situation was owl man's powers just it's just like it's just like mental fugue that like he just adds mental fatigue to people and they make dumb mistakes like uh, Green Lantern using the ring and just I made a cage for you, but I made the the bars too far apart and it's just like why am i making these dumb mistakes it's like i like that that for two pages i like that but there are so many in here that are like that the other example that i'll call out is with uh 
Despero, like the f- I really liked the first two issues of this uh, enough that I actually forgot that the bulk of the issues in here I actually didn't enjoy. Like I thought the entire first half was really good, uh, and it turns out only two of the three. Uh, but having a T Rex world where a T Rex scientist helps the two JLAers uh, handle the problem. Yes, this is what I want. Yeah, it's the Aquaman principle of it's cooler with yeah. animals, but it and it's also like it's not overstaying. It's welcome. It's doing something a little bit enough different between the different uh, version, the different worlds. It's I that is what I like and. It is possible to do these like five one-on-one battles and have each of them be interesting, but man, it just felt like having to sit through an entire shonen uh, tournament arc. Yeah, it really it was it was very aggressively jam-packed. Yeah, duels, and yeah, if you're gonna do that, you need to not do the same gag over and over again. Yeah, you have to have variety in how these things are done, and I think to your point. It got tired quickly. Had they only done those powers the first time and then they did different stuff to the JSA, it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you you, don't, you can't do the same gag twice. And the other thing that's coming to mind, I guess, like, my takeaway here ultimately is that execution matters so much. Like, there isn't a bad structure per se, there's just bad execution on the structures. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind, the JSA battles were... Ex- and actually, all of these battles, uh, actually, the, the any of the ones where the heroes won and then, and then they lost. The, the ones with Volthum, uh, the JLA versus the CSA, and the JSA versus CSA, both of those are instances where ev- the heroes would win, and then it just means nothing. There was no, there was nothing, no impact on the overall outcome from the fight. It was... It was arbitrary. Yeah, or pre-written, maybe. That, that, was, that was certainly how it felt to me. So... Those were just deeply frustrating to me. And especially because it was two stories, two issues in a row that had 10 pages of five one-on-one combats. There was just no respite from it. I've got a couple other little notes. Are there any other things that you particularly want to bring up? Uh, just just a fun note that Volthoom comes back in comics later. I was uh, wondering where, like the name sounded familiar. Volthoom becomes a Green Lantern villain later in the comics as a... It's hard to explain, which is what this whole podcast is about. Uh, suffice it to say, Volthoom comes back. Also, the CSA is just a fun villain group. Um, eventually, they get other members, like an Aquaman analog called Sea King. Yeah. Oh, that was so good. Why not? <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I, I'm a big fan of What If We Were Evil. And it's just put a goatee on him, which is basically all that this well, is. Uh, so it's it's fun. There was a little bit more there, which was something that I found interesting. The I had to do a, similar to what I talked about, what we sort of touched on earlier with uh, Hot Girl. I kind of had to go through my head of what's going on here because I 
the character designs for the CSA members, I wound up falling on the the bit that I think they were just kind of schlubby. And I don't mean that in a bad way, because the whole yeah. point was that they were feeling like <laughs> metaphorically out of shape, out of uh, not at the top of their game. Like, oh, we almost got caught by those cops. We'd better find people to practice against. And the character designs are just a little bit, uh, they're just a little things like the, so power ring, instead of looking like, I don't know how to describe what Hal Jordan looks like. Hal Jordan looks crisp and clean and adventurous in that way. And power ring looks like Nixon. Yeah, he has kind of like a really severe widow's peak and very pointed nose mm-hmm. and really like it, he looks almost like Sinestro with hair. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Except not not the sharp line of the widow's peak. It's just like receding hairline. Yeah, he almost looks like he's he's going to go bald in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um Owl Man looks like a dude covering up the fact that he's out of shape yes he's constantly covering himself in his cloak and or a cape and the cape is ill-fitting it's full of wrinkles it's piled up on his body um ultraman is wide and looks like he's got a bit of a gut yep but he's got big shoulder pads the only one because of obvious sexism that looks mildly okay is superwoman who just looks like she's in a black almost black canary-esque outfit um but they're never going to draw an unattractive woman and i would she was actually the one that i latched onto initially because i was trying to figure out like i had to debate with myself to what degree they were leaning on were they leaning on like a little bit of overweight like a little bit of fat phobia as oh these guys are villains and ultimately i I wound up coming down on no that they're drawing these characters looking a little bit pudgier than their like stock hero characters but probably for the purpose of just saying no these guys are like trying to find we're positioning these people as being a little bit out of metaphorical and physical shape uh i i wanted to describe uh uh superwoman as having a, a big barda type uh like look and stature and i don't think it, it's not quite there but i, I kind of wound up going a little bit with like a less less overtly buff like over the top buff zarya from overwatch she's got the no this this is a big girl like she looks like she's got power like she is drawn a little bit bigger and part of that is like the clothes choice like she has uh i guess a leotard in in the sense that whereas like wonder woman has a little bit of like shorts going on right now that the lines are a little bit more rounded, but also it, like you can see the joints and the mu- and the implication of muscle, or maybe they're trying to imply uh, a little more fat. But to me, like she looks like okay, she's a little bit bigger in that way that like the mountain is bigger. He is a like real like yeah. strength bodybuilding. It is if you're not doing it for like oh for the look of bodybuilding, if you're doing it for power you're bigger that that is the look that i got from it yeah it it also looks less put together yeah her outfit looks a lot plainer that's absolutely the case yeah um it is just a solid black with a yellow cape 
Um, so it's interesting in how they chose to make them evil was less fashionable and two centimeters wider on the page. Mm-hmm. It. I almost wonder if I... This seems like one of the few instances we've seen of really like slightly more nuanced than usual character design. Yeah. As opposed to, I don't know, Brainstorm is just a guy in purple with a thing on his head. Yeah. Um, It looks like they took some time to deliberately just make some different costumes. Because if you think about Reverse Flash, it's just yellow and red. (laughs) This is like... I mean, Johnny Quick looks like he's wearing a speed skater suit. Power Ring is a darker shade of green, and the symbol on his chest is somewhat butterfly-ish, but looks like a starburst a little bit. Ultraman is just blue and red. Uh, Owlman is the same colors as Batman, but he has very much a Golden Age Hawkman owl headpiece on his head. So it looks like he's got two sets of eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and Superwoman is, like you said, I think she's wearing like a power lifter's outfit. Yeah, that's a good word for it. You know, she's she looks like she's wearing Jim Shark, a Jim Shark onesie, and it's not bad. And she doesn't. There is some mild hints towards like like you say fat phobia, that these people are a little bit out of shape and gone to gone to seed, but. Some of it is also like if you look at Superman, Superman's wide in the in the in this in the center. Mm-hmm. And the way that Ultraman is drawn is the same way. So it really does come down to like the contrasting lines of their suits. Some of it, I think to your point, might be a little bit of like, mm, heavier people are evil because this is the sixties and we make fun of people like that. And it also could have just been they're not that good at drawing people that dynamic at that size on the page. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I would hesitate to say that they're outwardly trying to make them look heavy. But I could see them being drawn in a way to have characteristics that make them look thuggish. Yeah, I guess the piece I come back to is that maybe I would have expected so much worse. Uh yeah. <laughs> When, when a majority of the bad guys are either really slim guys with dumb outfits or, um, you know, Luthor, who is drawn noticeably heavier than everybody else. You're absolutely right. They look similar, but different. I think, put it this way, if this came out from an artist who... or From an artist or from an art style that we didn't have the that didn't have the baggage of being 60s house style, it'd probably be like, yeah, no, it's like, uh, uh, I don't remember which Spider-Man from Into the Spider-Verse, the Peter B. Parker, Peter B. Parker. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, you know, that that is trading in a little bit of, oh, like fat stereotypes, but also it is doing the clear character work associated with it. it. It is not out of bounds for what our society right or wrongly uh considers to be acceptable uh characterization yeah into the spider-verse did with 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 peter b parker what what endgame tried to do with fat thor 
Oh man, yeah, no, that was rough. <laughs> but yes, and, I agree. And with that it ex- and executes it better in the sense that they make jokes that Peter looks bigger, but it doesn't stop him from being effective. And once those jokes are made, they never make it again. Mm-hmm. This seems like they might have made those jokes similarly, but not have stuck on the fact that like, oh, you guys are fat, so you guys are lame. It's like yeah. they just have different body types. Yeah, and that is the and- difference. But and it I is noticeable that they do have different body types. That is maybe the other thing that's worth noting is, like, we're we're doing a lot of reading into this because, A, I, I think it is worthwhile, but also there are none of those jokes made on on screen, metaphorically, which, yeah. you know, it I'm is also glad what we about. do is we read it. We read into it. I mean, we've also never made that joke about Luthor. Yes. You know, that's I don't true. Think I guess the I don't think we've ever never seen... made that joke about Luthor. I don't, I don't think we've it, ever seen a, a body or a body shaming joke about any villain, to be honest. Huh. I think you're right. <laughs> Ironically, I think you're right. We've never seen it made about a villain. We've only seen body shaming jokes made about female heroes. And also the Flash. Even male heroes, yeah. When he got turned huge that one time by yeah, Curly Grot. Right. Wow. So it, only the heroes get body shamed. Huh. And edit candy. Yeah, true. So yeah, that true. is a weird thing. Yeah, but it is something worth noting. Hmm. And again, and again, to to your point, it is something that we do in this podcast where we read into things heavily. And like I said, it could easily also be misconstrued as the artist isn't that good at that distance drawing figures and dynamic poses. I'm willing to bet it is partially some of that, but it is noticeable with Owlman's body. As yeah. well as Ultraman's body. When you look at Owlman, his suit does not fit him the way that Batman's suit fits him. Yeah. We we certainly don't see, like, I, I think the only CSA character who we see, like, muscle lines on is Johnny Quick. Everyone else is either, right. like, it, it is just the way the, the suit hangs rather than it hanging over muscle. You know how Alex Ross draws superheroes? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just, that's a dude wearing spandex who's big. The crime syndicate reminds me of how Alex Ross draws characters. Humans in weird outfits. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to, yeah, I'm like looking at this and the ones where the Alex Ross pictures that have clear muscles look so different than the ones where it is just, here is Superman. He is standing there in spandex. Uh yeah, that's an interesting comparison. I have two other things that are related, but they're, they're small, but they're entertaining. They're ads. Perfect. So I don't know what this must have just changed because I do not remember seeing either of these ads in the tail end of the JLA issues that we read before. But we start seeing ads for two things that are new like we still get uh tootsie roll pop uh ads but we also get ads for general mills and gi joe hey and gi joe has just been released like 1964 1964 uh and it's fascinating because this is like original gi joe there are the four different branches of the military represented and it's just that and there is none of the cartooniness of the like of the 80s gi joe that reinvention uh but we do get like it is 
the ads say like uh, as seen on TV or something to that effect. And I don't have a great sense of whether there's like a G.I. Joe like uh, cartoon at this point or if it's just like commercials. But yeah, straight up as seen on TV, 21 movable parts, TV's new hero, G.I. Joe. And the great thing about the General Mills uh, ads here is that First off, uh, it is just very jarring to suddenly see the uh, le- the leprechaun from Lucky Charms uh, or the Trix Rabbit. And at this point, we had the, the, the slogan of Trix are for kids. Like, that is apparently a 50... F- oh, wow. Yeah, like, a, I guess a 57-year-old or, yeah, 57-year-old uh, ad slogan. But also... Because they had the the rights to the TV show, uh, or the TV rights in the U.S., there are Rocky and Bullwinkle for Cheerios. Because apparently General <laughs> Mills was the primary sponsor and like had funded the the show itself. And it's just like That's there's amazing. there's Rocky and Bullwinkle hawking for Cheerios, and it's just yes, this I love this. <laughs> no, no, no Cheerio B yet. Cheerio V. Uh, yeah, the Cheerio. Oh, the uh, B, yeah. The, the B for the for the Cheerios, yeah. Whatever yeah. his name is. Yeah, I wonder when Buzzy. He has a or name, whatever. I'm sure. Buzzby. Buzzby. All right. Yeah. Uh, apparently named in was not named until 2000, uh, but was named by a fifth grade student and won a national contest to name the B. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So the. It looks like Busby debuted at the same time as Honey Nut Cheerios in 1979. Serial mascots aside, uh, <laughs> I think it's time for uh, recommendations. Uh, I'll give I'll give a start. I uh, picked up a recent volume uh, at my local comic shop um, a couple of years ago. I want to say maybe two. Um, DC released a DC Zombies story called mm. Deceased, D C E A S E D, I think. Yeah, Deceased. Um, effectively, Darkseid creates the uh, finds the anti life equation, and mixes a little bit of the Black Racer's blood with it, and it turns into a zombie virus. Sure, uh, I don't care. That's all I needed. Uh, it's written by Tom Taylor, who is the writer behind the Injustice franchise. Oh. And nice. uh, Tom Taylor really gets a lot of the core character attributes of a lot of characters. And writes just probably my favorite Superman. Uh, both good and bad. And this is a great just one shot comic. I believe they're doing a series right now called dead planet, which is the follow-up, but it's really good. It's just a, it's a fun, it's a fun. What if where a bunch of characters team up to do a bunch of different dumb, silly zombie fighty things and has some really genuine heartfelt moments in it that are worth seeing. Um, to see moments that you're like, man, we're never going to get this in the normal continuity, but that it would be really cool to see Bruce Wayne have a heart-to-heart with Damien. Or, you know, Superman talking to his son, John. There's there's some really cool stuff in there. 
So I would say check it out if you can. Um, the art in it is really beautiful. It's uh, the art is done by a couple of artists, um, but I, I like all of them. They've all done such a great job just telling that story. On my end, I'm going to recommend a hobby because <laughs> I I think I've recommended Gundam in the past. Uh, I've been watching more and more recently. I do recommend at the very least the the first chunk of Gundam Wing. Uh, I rewatched the first episode, really enjoyed that. But I wound up getting into Gunpla, which is essentially like model kits of Gundams. Uh, and they are, at least generally, uh, no paint, no glue, just snap, uh, clipping things out of sprues and assembling them together. And they, all, and they fit very nicely. And then build the action figure, essentially. And it was just a very satisfying and relaxing way to spend a Sunday afternoon. I just just took wire clippers to sprues and just that little click was very satisfying. <laughs> nice. All right. One more episode of Justice League and then we're going to start jumping into some 1964 series that start uh, around about the same time. Also just backtracking to one series we've neglected for too long that we really should talk about because who doesn't love Lightning Lad and, you know, Saturn Girl? So we will be looking at Legion of Superheroes, probably Teen Titans, probably Doom Patrol, and some other things. Getting more Batman again, because finally we have back issues. Jesus Christ. I, I'm not a... I don't know if you don't... I don't know if you know this, folks. I'm not a big Batman fan. But I'm excited to read 1964 Batman. Just to read some Batman. So... That's how long it's been since we've read Batman for this podcast. And uh, we're going to get to it. So thank you all. Uh, We love you all very much. And we'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Surprises notwithstanding, our return to the Justice League was a welcomed one. We appreciated their teamwork and refreshing storylines, despite their repetitious nature at times. We didn't even mind Snapper Car that much, and truth be told, we were happy to stick around for more tales about Earth-1's greatest super team. 